Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. Digitization has become a crucial element in the CCP's governance approach. It serves to improve both governance and public service, but also enhances the party-state surveillance and monitoring capabilities. To discuss the findings of a chapter on the CCP and digitization, I'm speaking to Katja Jenhausen, senior analyst at Merix and an expert on digital governance and the social credit system. Welcome to the podcast, Katja. Thank you, Hannes. Could you briefly describe why and how the CCP has embraced digitization as a governance tool? Well, I mean, I think um, it's important to stress, first of all, that um, governments around the world have really looked to digitization to improve um, management and allocation of resources and public services. So China is definitely not a standalone case there. But I do think, um, especially if you look at early initiatives and how quickly um, the Chinese state tried to invest in um, digital infrastructure and adapt new technologies, um, that it's quite obvious that they saw this as a chance to, to leapfrog developments and catch up with um, international developments. They're catching up with countries around the world that also deploy this kind of technology. But what is their vision for a digitized China? I mean, maybe it's easiest to discuss the specific areas where the government um, hoped and has actually achieved Uh, improvements for governance and for the people. One really important area, also if you look at digital initiatives um, implemented by the Chinese state, is of course the economy. And especially if you look at the development of the domestic economy in recent years and what a big role the digital economy, but also modernization of, of traditional um, industrial sectors has played in uh, increasing um, value generated within China and in um, creating a fertile soil for Chinese companies to not only develop but also become global leaders in their field. Um, if you think about the big tech companies and quite a large number of unicorns um, in the tech space now being situated in China, it's quite obvious that this has generated quite visible benefits, not only for the economy, but also for customers who now in, in various parts of the country that were much more removed from even um, domestic supply chains and value chains can now access cheaper goods, have um, better options for creating value, for participating in the labor force, in the service sector from different parts of the country. How has digitization changed governance then? Because we just talked about the, how it changed the economy, and that seems to be a net positive of all. Um, how has it changed governance for, for the party? Um, I do think in terms of the use of digital technologies for governance, what you can see is quite clearly a two-pronged approach. One, to build up digital capacities, to create databases, to digitize um, files and processes, to allow the government to better monitor both its officials, but also the allocation of resources and of services uh, to the public. This has really served to increase benefits to grow the cake that is um, shared with 
uh, its citizens, so to say. And what you see, for example, is definite improvements in terms of access to services. I mean, if you think about the past where you had to travel even within Beijing for two to three hours to run an errand in an administrative office or um, even just pay your bills in, for example, the the utilities um, area, now you can do a lot of that via integrated apps, um, some even on WhatsApp. So it's just an improvement of quality of life to some extent, just because so much time is saved. So as I said, I mean, you do have the easier access to services, to government services for citizens, with now um, the explicit goal being that citizens don't have to show up in person more than once. Um, so a lot of openness to experiment with, for example, identity verification via facial recognition and other biometric means. So really being able to access um, your local government services from your digital devices. I mean, that's far ahead of everything we currently have offered in most European countries. And this does offer very specific kind of ease of use, but also comes with a number of, for example, data and, and privacy risks, right? Um, while these services can be offered, it's not always clear that the security measures are really up to date, that the data uh, that is collected will then be stored safely. Um, so it does come with a lot of vulnerabilities, but there are definite improvements. What you also see the government really focusing on, especially in recent years, is creating a nationwide ecosystem of databases to really uh, track both the performance of its own organs and departments, but also the legal compliance and kind of compliance with the rules and regulations of its companies, citizens and non-governmental organizations. And this especially compliance tracking system has become known as the social credit system and is really at the core of this new vision of governance where aggregating data and being able to sift through data quickly is seen as kind of a catalyst to make governance in China better by being able to really sort through the mass of information and overcome what has long been viewed of the biggest challenge of, of governing China, which is just the size and the population density of the country. So far, that sounds like steps that every other country on earth would also take, right? Like improve economy, improve the, the governance system. Uh, however, in the West, especially, it is often seen as this very negative, like digitization being employed to control people, to surveil people. Is, is that an overreaction or is, is that something that should be still of concern? Um, that is a great question because, um, I do think this is exactly where the different perspective on how to govern a country and, and what needs to be done to unify society and keep a kind of development on track really differs between the Chinese government and liberal democracies. Because in, in this two-pronged approach, you don't only have uh, the generation of, of benefits or um, increasing efficiency as this core objective of digitization. So improving the situation to generate legitimacy, but also to safeguard legitimacy, so to say, by really using and leveraging new technologies to contain dissent and discontent. And this is where um, you see how much resources and development has been invested in building up a censorship system, in building up 
tracking capabilities, um, especially in terms of installing cameras all throughout the country. While we do have a discussion about cameras in public places uh, here in Europe, I do think it's, especially for those who've been to China and traveled in recent years, it's really quite quite a different level if you think about cameras being installed in bars in restaurants in cabs in you know at the entrance of your residential community it's quite normal to spend a day uh, with just very few private breaks where you always have a camera in the room so to say and that obviously does have a strong impact on the awareness of surveillance and the potential of people to, for example, organize to discuss issues that are not deemed appropriate to discuss by the CCP. If we look back the last two years, the Chinese government said that, especially looking at the COVID-19 pandemic, that employing all these digital capabilities was necessary and important to fight this pandemic. Would you then think that overall, this has been like a net positive for the population in China and all these employing all these digital capabilities. I mean, uh, this is definitely the narrative of the CCP, especially as we're nearing the Chinese Communist Party's 100th anniversary. There is this um, consistent talk about modernizing Chinese governance, strengthening digital governance um, capabilities also are prominently mentioned in the next five-year plan. So you'd see um, a strong focus on presenting that as generally beneficial and benevolent um, to the population. But I do think if you look at the different effectiveness of different groups of citizens within China, you just come to very different conclusions, right? So um, if you are for example, a party cadre, you might be annoyed by some of the minor inconveniences or the extent of supervision in some instances. But overall, you might come to the conclusion that this has been a great success for China, that China's domestic politics has been stable and your country is going the right direction, moving towards global leadership. If you are, for example, um, a minority population member, um, an Uyghur in Xinjiang, um, and you're thoroughly surveilled day and night, your own cell phone is essentially turned to spy on you, to feed data into a growing system of networks that really track social stability, that are meant to gather information to maintain political control, then that looks very differently. So I do think it's something that very much depends on the perspective that you take within Chinese society. Final question, this digital capabilities, how do they play out on the global stage? How should we in other countries react to that? Well, I mean, the first thing is that it's important not to overestimate Chinese capabilities in that sense. So it's not like the social credit system, for example, is going global. As a matter of fact, quite a few of the initiatives often discussed or what is envisioned from the outside as kind of an AI-driven, coherent panopticon of control is actually quite fragmented in reality. So you have just tons of different local initiatives of installing cameras, of feeding into different local platforms, of just trying out new technologies. And as in any administration, there is a big issue with sharing data, with integrating data, with having different standards, with just having very bad quality data um, that is meaningless collected as well. So it's important not to overestimate what is implemented within China. 
But it's because of that even more important to look how goals and values of those in the political leadership set the policy environment, but also the regulatory environment for the use of new technologies. And this regulatory environment does allow Chinese companies, for example, to treat data quite differently, to work in the government with different ways, to answer to government needs, um, to maintain political stability in terms of developing new tools for um, surveillance and, and population control. This is definitely a field that Western companies have been active in for a long time. So this is not to say that Chinese companies are the only ones who are interested in catering to these demands, but especially in a time of a growing kind of turn towards um, authoritarianism around the world, it's going to be interesting and really important to keep watching how these technologies develop, how they're exported and adapted in other countries, and how that not only shapes the use of technology, but also policy diffusion in those countries when it comes, for example, to setting standards, what the appropriate use of facial recognition or voice recognition technologies and biometric data is, and how the positive uses are balanced with the highly invasive um, impact they can have on civil liberties. On that note, thank you very much for your time and your insight, Katya. You can find the numerics paper on China, the CCP's next century, expanding economic control, digital governance and national security on our website. My name is Johannes Heller-Jorn. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. You have been listening to Merrick's Experts, the podcast from the Makato Institute for China Studies in Berlin. If you want to learn more about our work, please visit us at merricks.org.